The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. No my hooky mike the fold emihine called Duncan Grey talking or my guest this week on the fold is Mike Lane, uh, who is I don't know what his exact job title is. He's the boss of the ACC, the Alternative Commentary Collective, uh, which well start, started life as literally that, just um, a, a different stream of commentary on on cricket games and has grown into, I think, one of the most interesting media innovations um, in New Zealand and uh, certainly by far the most in- interesting and innovative thing to come out of any major New Zealand um, media company in the last few years. Uh, it It is now a sort of a suite of podcasts, it's events, it's, um, it's very, especially in its early years, you would listen to uh, the Alternate Commentary Collective, and because they gathered together this group of incredible, you know, super surreal 2000-era TV comic talents, and they were all operating in sort of free associative sort of improv territory, they, was, they would say some real eye-wateringly freaky stuff that was incredibly brand unsafe, and yet somehow it's become, I think, you know, a really, really interesting and important commercial driver for, for NZME. Uh, largely because it was left alone to to grow um, without too much oversight for the first few years. So the thing about Mike is like this is his probably his third time doing something really really interesting. He started the Beige Brigade, which basically took over and created the whole sort of fan culture of of New Zealand cricket. Gave it a an impetus and a centralising force. You know, New Zealand cricket, as as he'll detail, has had a a pretty you know, a pretty distant relationship to it. Uh, it's come and gone, and and I think they understand the value there, but they can't quite embrace it because it is, you know, like it, it violates a lot of the very straight up and down and boring norms of New Zealand sports marketing and and culture and presentation. You know, sports always wants to control the product, and in so doing, makes the product really boring. The ACC wants to make the product exciting, and the sports bodies and the kind of mainstream kind of good old boys of sports can't stand that because it feels like it's making fun of them when it's actually embracing them it's that whole dance is really really interesting to me 
Um, so we we talk about that. We talk about the business side of it, um, and and about the extent to which the Beige Brigade experience um, informed uh, first Hauraki and then um, the ACC. Uh, look, it's it's a it's a long one. It's a, I think a real entertaining one. And if you are interested in the business of media and particularly how media can innovate and use community and fandom and a little bit of letting go and a little bit of letting people outside of your organization dictate the the sort of response to and the framing of your thing. Uh, I think that there are just so many lessons in the ACC and hopefully some of those are on this podcast. Just before we get into it, I have to thank again our sponsors in Vodafone. Uh, we are currently recording through Vodafone Network Technology. I suggest that if you're in a business, you do the same. Uh, head to vodafone.co.nz for more on that. This is Mike Lane from the ACC on The Fold. Uh, kia ora, Mike Lane. Welcome to The Fold. Kia ora, great to be here. Uh, thanks so much, man. I, I, as, as I was saying just before we got on, I've, I've been so excited to to come on because i think the acc is just a wildly fascinating i don't even know what you call it media brands sports sports entertainment company yeah um, platform yeah but but it kind of it's almost weirdly platformless like it just exists in a lot of different places but yeah. we will get to that because i i want to i want to know where it started and my theory of it especially as it pertains to you who's now running the show yep. full time um is that it's it's actually way back in a whole different century with the Beige Brigade. Is, is that fair? And if so, just tell us a bit about the Beige Brigade and how that's informed where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so the Beige Brigade, um, you know, for those unfamiliar, um, was basically back in, I uh, was kind of the 90s uh, at university, late 90s. Um, I was gifted a, a, a 1981 beige uniform, Adidas, original Bruce Edgar uh, Adidas beige uniform. Um, by a friend of mine, um, Dan Vittori, who went on a youth tour to England and bought it at an auction. And he bought it back and gave it to me and said, you're the only one stupid enough to actually wear this. Uh, here you go. And so I, we used to wear it to all the games. And a good friend of mine, Paul Ford, we would go along and we'd have so many people ask, where did you get that from? It's amazing. It really, and it resonated with the cricket fan because it was the beige. It meant we were such a great team then. But the colours meant nothing. It was like, it was like we were dressed by the Australians with leftover material at the factory. You know, <laughs> put, put the put the West Indians in pink and purple, mate. Canary yellow for us, mate. And I've oh, got some of this brown and tan stuff. Give those to the Kiwis. <laughs> like it just it meant nothing to anybody. And so it kind of it struck a chord with a lot of people. And it got to the point where so many people were asking questions around it that Paul and I said, why don't we just start making them and selling them. So we made, we sewed together like 10 for our friends and they were like, literally, luckily I was flatting with a, a fashion design student down in Canterbury and she actually uh, taught us how to sew. We unstitched the shirt and I've still got the patterns at home off the back of a Tui poster, a Tui beer poster uh, is the patterns for the sides and for the front panels. And we slaved away for probably weeks on end and made 10 and sold them to our friends for like 20 bucks. And then I think with the Beige Brigade and the cricket, it really took off when we toured Australia. Um, and it was that great Shane Bond moment at Adelaide. We had a group of 12 of us go over there, and that's where the Beige Brigade really got some momentum and some media momentum. 
And then we came home and we had so many requests for, for shirts. We then had to engage some little old ladies from Hamilton who made them for us. Um, you know, and they made a hundred and we thought that was a big deal. Um, and then it kind of, it just escalated from there and we had to get more and more, uh, serious about it if we wanted to, cause people, the demand was huge. And obviously New Zealand cricket took note. Funny story from that is Paul and I set up the Beige Brigade Limited and we set up the company and we were selling these shirts. We sent our first hundred dollars we ever made to New Zealand cricket and, um, said, here's a, here's who we are. We're Beige Brigade. We're about passion, not fashion. Um, you know, that, this was our ethos. We were a long-suffering New Zealand cricket fans. We'd been through a lot, um, so we're trying to bring some. <laughs> we're bringing some passion back. And here's a hundred dollars. Please don't spend it on any crap marketing campaigns like the Mad Caps, which, which was a manufactured uh, group to try and counter the Barmy Army. And it was just made made me made us cringe. Anyway, I got a nice letter back from Martin Sneddon because um, we, at the end of it, suggested that New Zealand should return to beige um, because you know, obviously, it's that's our. Um, our true colours, and we're, you know, just, it was a joke. Anyway, a letter came back from Martin Stead and uh, explaining the amount of money that's been spent on the Black Caps brand and launching the Black Caps, and they will never play in beige again. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and they banked the $100, don't worry about that. The cheque got banked. Um, <laughs> and then it was just lovely to see a few years later when the first ever T20 International was played at Eden Park, they played back in beige. And, um, and Paul and I have commit, kept the, the Dom uh, post um, you know, the one they put outside the dairy and it just said back in beige yeah. and it had Hamish Marshall's big afro and we've both got those framed on our wall at home because it's just like, yeah, we go, back in beige. I mean, and that, that must have felt incredible because that is, you know, like that literally doesn't happen without, you know, any of, of what you what you got up to. Yeah, totally. And it was really frustrating. It was frustrating dealing with New Zealand cricket at the time because they didn't recognise the fact that the fans had developed this and it was a very fan-driven uh, we were just massive cricket fans, and they basically played. They put them in beige for that T20, so that their official supplier could then make them and sell them as well, because they saw how many were being sold. Um, and they said it was a nod to the players of the eighties. And I was like, "Come on, man! You could have just given a hat. Is... You could have given us a, a small hat tip to the fans." So that's why we grenaded that game, and we offered a pallet of lime brown to the club team whose player grew the best moustache. So, you know, we went to like, <laughs> like Lancaster Wollstone in Canterbury was, was Chris Keynes' club at the time. Uh, it was, I think it was University and Hamilton was, it was um, Vittori's. The Marshalls, I think, was like um, Munga Katamea. Uh, you know, like, so we got all those clubs were pressuring their players to grow moustaches so they could get a pallet of lime brown for their end of year function. So <laughs> that's why we grenaded it. And they all had moustaches. Uh, you know, Hamish teased his hair out. And we kind of we grenaded it that way, and I could you could tell that New Zealand crew had been wringing their hands again because it was all about the the dress up almost. It became a dress up, but little did we know the phenomenon that T Twenty was going to develop into after that joke start. But um, yeah, it's in the beige brigade. Well, like I, I was a massive cricket fan, so was Paul Ford, and you know he's he's we're still trugging away selling shirts. We've sold over a million dollars worth of merchandise, of which uh, in terms of what we have off the other side, we've had a hell of a good time. We've we just bought, buy tickets for mates. We've travelled around the world following the team, and we've bought the most ridiculous merchandise ever. We've, we own the underarm, one of the underarm balls from the underarm game. Um, we bought Richard Hadley's car that he won in 1986, the end of the Alfa Romeo that he kept, and it nearly sent the team into <laughs> turmoil. We found it, and we, we own it. Um, so we've got that Alfa Romeo uh, in storage down in Wellington. We don't know what to do with it. We want this is an alternate. Museum and waiting, oh, right? Totally is. Paul, Paul, who he's, he lives down in Wellington, his garage is just to the gunnels because we'd go to these because we're, 
the idea was we never wanted to make money from it. We were just having a good time. It was a hobby. Um, and we would go to those, you know, those gala dinners and we'd just buy the most ridiculous merchandise with all of our, all of our money. You know, we've got a signed Bill Brown and Walter Hadley photo of them in the first test match in New Zealand, Australia at the Basin. Um, you know, we just buy this ridiculous stuff and it's all in storage at, at um, Paul's house. We gave some to the um, – um, Papa held the ball for a while and we've given a lot of it to the New Zealand Cricket Museum and, and the Basin as well. And so it's been a, a hell of a good time. And then, you know, it, it comes to a natural end, I guess. We were running tours. I actually left New Zealand for five years and ran the Beige Brigade in London. We ran tours, went to World Cups. We took, you know, 500 people to the infamous France All Blacks game at um, Cardiff. We did running of the Bulls, Beer Fest, you know, La Tomatina, you know. It was a good time, but then it all came crashing down during the GFC in London. But, I mean, fundamentally, like, you know, it's, it's the culture around cricket specifically that is, uh, that has created it. I think because it's such a languorous game and it, it attracts odd characters, yeah. um, it sort of lends itself towards it. But the, the thing that you know, strikes me as the really piercing insight um, is, is that the fan culture around a sport or a team is much more interesting than the kind of highly managed kind of power raid and and uh and a sort of you know in a nondescript field kind of way that that sports has traditionally marketed yeah. and and that 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 feels quite sort of foundational to to what the a, uh, ACC has become is that fair yeah yeah I'd, I'd agree with that look it was yeah the the beige, it's so it's much more genuine when it comes from from the fans, and it came from a really good place. Like Paul and I had a hell of a good time with the beige brigade, and it was a really proud moment. Even you know going to Lords, um, probably it was about ten years ago now, and there were more beige shirts in the crowd than you know, actual, and we were just laughing, going, "This is hilarious," you know. But obviously, uh, the commercial elements of New Zealand cricket weren't laughing because their their official merchandiser at the time was W Star, were livid because obviously we were shifting more. <laughs> shirts than they were shifting replica shirts but it was a it was a it was a great feeling and like you mentioned cricket is it is a strange game played by very strange people and followed by even stranger people because it's it, you know you look at the characters that get spit out of cricket you know like the, the mark richardson's of the world they're very odd odd people with sir richard hadley you know he's deemed as a little odd you've got jeremy coney you know like you've got these personalities that come out of it because it's a game like you're saying that's it's long. There's a lot of individual focus, but you're part of a team. But it's still a very individual sport. You spend days on end in the field by yourself, or batting by yourself, or with one other person. Um, and and it takes a lot to be a cricket fan. You've got to invest a lot. Like you know, and it's really hard introducing people to the game who haven't you know been there for a while. And you know, the fact we've got three formats now. Like trying to explain that to like a an American who like just wants baseball or NFL. There's one format. There's not like a, a three hour format, an eight hour format, and a five day format. And don't even get started on power plays and fielding restrictions. And like you know what I mean? It's 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 so bizarre and so complex that once you get into it, you you can't stop. That's yeah, absolutely. And yet, I mean, the, there's this beautiful tension. I think that you you must have felt throughout this whole period that you've been doing these things where, you know, as I said before, there's this kind of very self-serious way that the sports um, like to present themselves, which is both a product of their, I think, quite bad 
attempts to commercialize these things because great marketers don't tend to be there. Um, You know, like, but then there's also like, that also goes, flows into the coverage of it, you know? So I think there's, there's something quite amazing, which we'll get to later on about the way that the, the Brian Waddle is your stereotypical commentator of, of sports. And I remember when the ACC started, there was this real, React like he he reacted with this visceral loathing, oh, yeah. this very serious way of you know like time honored way of presenting the game was being challenged by these oh yeah by these pe- people like w- as you went through base brigade and into ACC now it feels like it was kind of preordained like you know and and, and you know I'm sure that all the sports organisations embrace you yeah. in, in various capacities because you're like their one shot at. <laughs> kind of bringing in new audiences yeah. and making the thing have any fun. But initially there must have been a huge sense from those uh, organisations, both the sports bodies themselves, but also the related things like radio sport, like yes. conventional sports reporters, that you were doing something awful. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, ironically, the first our first season was 2014-15, and it was ironically funded by New Zealand Cricket. It was out the back of that horrendous South African tour, the Brendan McCullum, Ross Taylor bust up. We got bowled out. Then we got bowled out for 42 or something. You know, I think New Zealand cricket was at the lowest of lows. And we worked with a good friend of ours, Matt Dickinson, who who runs um, True uh, Agency, who just secured New Zealand cricket as a, as a client. And he actually helped us pitch the idea of, you know, let's put a fan-based, fully fan-based um, commentary team together and give it a go. And I think to the point where I think potentially New Zealand cricket, well, we've got nothing to lose here. So they actually funded that first season where I borrowed a mate's caravan and, you know, I rang Jeremy and Jeremy then rang Jason Hoyt and then Jason Hoyt then rang someone else and then Jeremy rang Lee Hart and then I rang Paul Ford and then I rang Matt Heath and they were all massive cricket fans. And then, you know, we just started, we did actually had no idea what we were doing, to be honest. And Jeremy and I, before the first ever game was New Zealand, yeah, McLean Park in a caravan that I like, just borrowed off a mate in, in, um, from Raglan, <laughs> um, put some signage on the outside. Um, and we went to Helen Stein's and we bought uh, the $99 special. So you get the pant, the jacket, the tie <laughs> and the shirt. And we all bought Helen Stein's suits. Little did we know that that was probably the biggest bugbear for Brian Waddle um, was the fact that we got given uniforms and the fact we bought them ourselves. So they funded that. We had no idea what we were doing really, but we knew what we were going to do and we knew what we wanted and what our friends wanted, and that was to follow the cricket, like ball by ball. I still want to know what the score is. I still want to know uh, the state of the game and a little bit of insight, but I'm actually not bothered by all the stuff in between. So just like you go into the game with your mates, you sit on the embankment, you engage with the game every now and then, but really you're catching up with your mates, telling yarns, telling stories. Uh, and that's that was the rule. Was the rule was when you know when the bowlers coming in to bowl, you shut up and let Jason or Jeremy call the action. But in between that, fill your boots. And we were pretty pretty lucky in the fact that we were on iHeartRadio, so we had the official rights with New Zealand cricket. So we were playing by the book then. So we were legit. We were allowed into the grounds. They put the caravan there, but we were very much treated as the fact that this is a, just a bit of a joke. You know, these guys, whatever. They actually just didn't. They had no idea of what we were doing and didn't care. They kind of almost let us just do it. But then we discovered after the probably first two or three games that we were onto something. We were onto something because I think people were, were up for a change uh, and needed to be re-engaged. And it was 
fellow fans talking rubbish. And look, and to be fair, you know, in the early days, we, we were on a digital-only platform six years ago. You know, there's no BSA uh, outside of defamation. So, you know, a story could go anywhere, and it did. You had Lee talking about Mumbai driving Mumbai taxis, and you had – it would just go in crazy places, and – you could do anything, and people, I think, were just like, "Oh my God, I can't believe I'm I'm hearing." I feel like I'm in a, I feel like I'm eavesdropping on these guys talking about cricket, and yeah, the traditional, you know, I think the pe- likes of Brian and even Sky TV just actually saw it more as an annoyance than a threat at all. They just thought, "Oh God, not these these guys again," and we. And we didn't mind it. We didn't mind. That was good for us. Being the underdog was great, and it suited us perfectly. Um, and then after that first Indian series, it was there were five games. We won that series, I think, 4-0, um, and one was tied. And it felt like New Zealand cricket was on a roll, and we were starting it. <laughs> it was still, I mean, it was stupid. <laughs> but then we had the World Cup after that in the following year, you know, the 2015 World Cup. And we managed to to get in there. We had their rights again, but yet they wouldn't let us put the caravan anywhere near the ground. So in Wellington, for example, we were facing the railway lines. So our window of our caravan faced the railway lines and then we had a TV. That's how much they didn't want us anywhere near the ground. Um, so, and then there was the infamous moment where we got blamed for driving a drinks trolley on the ground and, and thrown out of the World Cup, which in the end was, which was, was the best thing that ever happened to us. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, now I guess... Now we're almost part of the furniture, almost when it comes to the to the credit coverage, and um, we're, we're. I mean, that's yeah. that's what I find so fascinating, right? Because you've almost replaced. I mean, you have functionally replaced radio sport at the what was formerly the home of radio sport, and it's just sort of quite a mind boggling thing to think about. Is that <laughs> you know it reminds me a lot of the way that Jeremy Wells satirized Mike Hosking and then yes. took over his job. Yes. <laughs> You guys started out as this weird parody of radio sport and then have functionally re- replaced radio sport within its parent organization as the kind of the sports commentary. But it's not like, you know, the, the, the real sports commentary barely exists and yeah. you guys are enormous. It's just, it's very upside down world. That must, in a similar way to watching beige spread throughout yeah. the stadium, having the, being part of the organization through all that must have a surreal quality. Oh, totally. Yeah, it does. And, and, and the world's the world's link as well, because like, you know, seeing people in the steady the ship hats, which is an ACC nickname for Kane Williamson, and they're in beige or they're wearing a black flap, which we've got, and these two worlds into collide, and it's like, oh, my God. I mean, New Zealand cricket must just shake their head and go, get rid of these guys. Like, what are they well, doing? Yeah. But, um, but they, they look, they are pretty good. New Zealand cricket, I must admit, have got a lot better. They, I think the biggest threat from them comes commercially. You know, and we are now, you know, ACC is a, is a focus for NZME, and that focus for NZME means, you know, it needs to contribute financially to the company. So obviously we are, we're, we're out in the market scrapping for sponsorship dollars along, potentially alongside New Zealand cricket and sometimes against New Zealand cricket. And we have to get more inventive and we can be, oh, that's the beauty of the ACC, I guess, and that our platform is we can be more creative and a bit more uh, out there than normal sponsorships. Like for the, the state of the ship hat, for example, was a client activation for Fonterra. Um, you know, they, you know, and f- having Fonterra come on board with the ACC is like, that's a, you know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty conservative, <laughs> can't get more mainstream. Than the, the farmers who are growing the, yeah. the you know, yeah, we, who are making the milk. Yeah, so we, and we partnered with Mammoth, the, um, the, you know, the flavoured milk for, for, I think, three or four seasons. 
Um, and it worked perfectly for them because the, the hats, we, they, you got a free hat with two mammoths from BP and it just went through the roof. But that started off as a client activation, that hat. And now that hat is, those hats are everywhere. So, you, you know, you go to the cricket and every second person's wandering around with a, a captain's hat on. That's it's great. It's good to see. It's, it's really, it is weird to see. You're right. It is strange to see. But then again, it's kind of, it shows how how passionate people are if it's not coming from a disingenuous place, I guess. You know, we're actually, we're genuine fans and we genuinely want to make cricket a great experience. So hence, you know, the hats and the shirts and the songs and the nicknames and, and all of all that carry on. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very real and, and uh, intentionally made culture that, that, is, that comes from its own place. Like you, you can always tell when these things are, um, you know, like, like the desire not to offend anyone at all leads to these incredibly bland yeah. products, you know, your, your madcaps, yeah. like, for example, versus, I mean, one of the things that's most fascinating to me is, is just how offensive a lot of what is said on the commentary is it feels like if you were try, trying to design an unsafe environment for brands, it would be that. But it almost seems immaterial because every single person listening is sort of consent-based opting in to hear it yeah, all. Yeah, totally. yeah, totally. You're right. There is, there is a consent when coming in because it's not it, – you can't accidentally come across the alternative commentary collective. You've actually act, – you've actively got to, you know, seek it out. There is uh, – you know, so I think you're right there, but – yeah, and some of the, I mean, some of the content was six, seven years ago. We'd, we'd you know, we, we, we developed along with the times at the moment, and we are now, we're covering Super Rugby, we're covering Black Caps on Spark Sport, um, the Super Rugby on, on Sky and iHeart and Hauraki, and we're um, partnering with New Zealand Netball, uh, and Storm Purvis is going to lead our kind of our netball coverage of the Silver Ferns games and stuff. So we're, we've got Rugby League with Di Henwood and Ben Hurley who are doing Mad Monday um, and working with... And we've got the BYC podcast, the cricket podcast. We now got to the point where, like, we where we were probably, but what you were saying, a little bit offensive and potentially a little bit spiky on the on the content a few years ago. Now that now we've broadened out, I think our focus is on is purely entertainment and fun, um, and being that alternative option for every single mainstream sport in New Zealand. So if you're watching the netball, we should there should be us to tune into, which we can have a laugh and you know, or, and the cricket and the rugby and the league and potentially basketball as well, which is, is massive. So yeah, it's it is it's it's a, a pretty unique environment <laughs> for people to plug into. And some people some people plug in and immediately plug out and that's cool. You know, we get quite a few complaints, but it's like you you know, apologies, but you, you know, you can just not not listen. You're not at all trying to be for everyone, and I think that makes the yeah. audience bigger. We'll take a very quick break now and come back uh, with with more on uh, the, the ACC. Back now with with Mike Lane, and um, I do want to explore more of that 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 tension at some point. But I, I also think one thing we could, we almost like skipped a beat when we went from Beige Brigade to ACC yes, because <laughs> really it, it, no no that's that's on me that's that that's my exuberance to be honest that is is doing it because the more we talk about it the more I'm like Jesus this is so fascinating but um the the crucial step was uh, that assembly I think or, or you yeah. tell me this is the theory of it is that like uh, Radio Horaki you put together a lineup which was basically all of these kind of legends of weird TV comedy yeah. in the OOs that were sort of playing late nights yeah. um, who'd all kind of finished up there for one reason or another and were kind of, I don't know what the fuck they were up to, but it wasn't <laughs> en- enough. And as program director there, yeah. you just sort of 
smushed them all together. And that ultimately was the first generation of, of ACC talent. Well, do you want to just talk about that? Because in some ways, Hauraki was a similar challenge. It just this brand that had gone stale yeah. and forgotten itself. Um, about the, that link in, in this chain. Yeah, so the ACC actually, it's... It started before I, I I was involved in the ACC before I started doing Radio Hadaki and taking on the content role there. Funnily enough, I mean Jer- Jeremy and I were doing a BYC podcast and doing cricket content um, before he joined Hadaki. We actually did alternative updates the season before, where Jerry and I went around the grounds, gave alternative updates, which was us talking to the hot dog stand, doing everything but the cricket. <laughs> so people would cross to us for the cricket, and we wouldn't give them any any information on the game. We'd just be interviewing people. And so we were kind of where, where, where was that playing? Like what that was on that was on Hodaki. So I was I was working oh, yeah. at NZME at the time, but I wasn't involved in Radio Hodaki. I was thinking I was running the integration team there. So I was kind of pesting on the outside on the outskirts, and you know, and Jerry and I always had a you know wanted to be more involved in in cricket. And then the ACC formed, but at that time Jerry was doing a lot of stuff for Matt Heath on the Drive Show on Radio Hodaki. And then I think things kind of clicked with the cricket and actually after that first game in Napier was the first Matt and Jerry show the next morning um, and then out of the back of that Motley crew it was like the suicide squad of <laughs> people from the it was, it was like you know we had Lee Hart and Jason Hoyt obviously Lee Hart and the Moon TV and you know Sports Cafe Jason Hoyt Sugar and Spice fame he was at the time an up and coming umpire he was umpiring club cricket and had aspirations for first class cricket and international cricket wow. we had Lee Baker who was, who was obviously the writer producer of Eating Media Lunch and and um and various other bits with Jeremy, obviously Jeremy Wells, and uh, Matt Heath, obviously with all well, the back of the wire carry on and everything. So it was a real motley crew of. But I, what brought everyone together was actually they just loved cricket as well, like nobody else. And actually, the breakfast show started first, and then about two a year or so, maybe two years later, three years later, I got involved more with Radio Hodaki, and I became content director of Radio Hodaki. And then we brought Jace and Lee on for the drive show, and they had Booja. Uh, in the afternoons, uh, the legendary Bougier radio show, which was the most unradio show on earth, I think. Every consultant that came near it, we just told them to run for the hills because I think they could not. <laughs> they could not even compute where to start on how to unpack that radio show. It was a terrifying show. I guessed <laughs> it on a couple of times. I had I had no idea what to do. Like I love them, and I love. I think Lee is one of the undersung geniuses of our media. But trying to figure out how to be in that environment between those yeah. two. Presence is terrifying. Uh, it, yeah, it was, and and yeah, and you were right. It, it got for a while there were ACC and, and Hodaki were very much joined at the hip, um, because pretty much everyone who was on the ACC now worked at Hodaki, bar kind of Lee Baker and Paul Ford and, and a few others. So yeah, kind of morphed into each other. But trying to keep the ACC as a and what really worked well with the ACC and Radio Hodaki is Hodaki was a, a mainstream radio station, you know, through and through as a rock station. You know, there were certain there were boundaries within the um, radio realm, whereas the ACC sitting on iHeartRadio and, and that digital realm was a real creative release for a lot of those guys. You know, like mm. Matt and Jerry were limited, you know, usually limited three or four minutes on a commercial radio station, then shut up, play a song, come back. You know, it's bite size where they could go onto the ACC and they could extrapolate a story for an hour and a half, you know, nonstop with no interruptions. And I think that creative license for those guys and particularly Lee and Jason Lee, you know, not being constrained by by radio really helped. So it became the ACC as a sports wing also became a creative release for for those guys, and that's what attracted you know people like Di Henwood and Ben Hurley, huge league fans, like tragic league fans. 
and big cricket fans as well. And they just were attracted to it and said, oh, you know, I want to be part of the, I want to commentate cricket. I want to commentate rugby league. Can I, can we come and do something? And it's like, that's how the collective kind of grew and grew and grew. And then Scotty Stevenson obviously was with us at the start as well. And he came on board and then Chris Key and now Storm Purvis. And now we've got Beck Sandys down. He's a comedian down in Christchurch. He loves cricket. And Sonia Gray is commentating us in the weekend. So it's like this real motley crew now of just sports fans who just love it. I think that, you know, like I said before, sports kind of resists, resists this. And it has a it has a tight sense of control. It has this real kind of club rooms. Yeah. You you only really get to be part of it if you've played at the highest level. And 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 I think that it just assumed that that's all that everyone wanted. But I think between that and Sky Television, you you had a rapidly shrinking audience, aging and shrinking audience. Yeah. And the the irony of you know, you guys, like you said, kind of grenading into it, not completely unlicensed. No one asked for it <laughs> um, from the establishment. Yeah. You you also represent, I think, probably the best hope of developing a more varied um, culture that might actually grow what otherwise could be a shrinking audience and 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 bring people into grounds which are, which are otherwise getting pretty soulless. Yeah. You know, you said that New Zealand cricket. Uh, has started to kind of figure out a way to relate to you, albeit with this this tension of potentially losing yeah. the odd sponsor deal yeah. to you. How, how have you know, how has rugby and maybe some of the other sports organisations um, related to this to, to to your increasing scale? Um, pretty pretty good actually. New Zealand rugby, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, we started covering rugby and we started the nicknames really started to take off with you know Ben from accounts and um, you know all that kind of stuff. And then the names started to make their way into mainstream media. And and I think with the nicknames especially, it kind of softened softened the blow. I mean, you know, it made them more relatable. That's, I think, the crick, with the cricketers as well. And we had a couple of really um, big supporters within the All Blacks, Kieran Reid being one of them. He's commentated a few test matches as well. He's a huge cricket fan. You saw in the Black Clash can hold a bat as well. You know, we, internally there was a few supporters within the All Blacks. And I think eventually... You know, New Zealand rugby saw the benefit in having another channel that was effectively talking to a different audience. Now, we're not talking to the rugby head who just wants to hear Nisbo and they just want to go dive deep with John Kerwin and Jeff Wilson at halftime into the tackle counts. And But like me and like Matt Heath and even James McCauley to a degree, we love rugby. I love watching rugby, but I'm not a massive rugby head. I don't really want to get into the intricacies of the ruck laws and scrumming and stuff like that. I just want to talk some rubbish and watch some rugby and make it fun and think up playing stupid songs and, you know, parody songs left, right and centre and nicknames and, and whatnot and actually just have a little bit of – put a fun lens through it because I think rugby especially had a perception of being quite dull and, and humourless. Um, and that's from probably from years of just the media training and not getting them, you know, talking to players, you don't get much out of them. But in reality, the players are actually – pretty they're pretty good but it's i think it's just over years of just being it drilled into them that that seems fairly soulless so i but but now it's it's a lot i mean to be honest a lot better now because all these players have got their own social media channels now so you can actually see that they're actually got a bit of personality and they're funny and you've got guys releasing their own podcasts with Artie severe and you know they're actually that's opened it up a little bit i think and made them more uh i don't know <laughs> that's weird thing, more human but you know and i think 
and rug, rugby have, have, have welcomed welcomed us along, so I don't think it's a, it's definitely not a threat to the mainstream. It's, they see it as a, as a growth opportunity, especially with the younger audience who are slightly so disengaged with it. Same with New Zealand netball approached us as well um, with the same with the same reasons. They were like, look, we are, we're not talking to a younger uh, the younger audience, even younger males. Like, why aren't they interested in, in netball? You know, so they've got, I've got the older traditional crowd. But let's put a lens on it that actually engages some younger audience. Use that's whether that's using, you know, more social media and uh, video podcasting. Um, you know, a different commentary option. So there, I think most of the, all the major sporting bodies are, are into it now. There's still a little bit of tension with New Zealand cricket, obviously, all the time with us um, for whatever reason. <laughs> um, and of course, there's a little bit of tension there because because obviously MediaWorks have the radio rights to the cricket. Uh, through Rover, and obviously we're NZ Me, but we're partnering with Spark Sport to broadcast on Spark Sports platform. So there's all sorts of stuff going on there in the in the background that um, that uh, causes New Zealand cricket at a few issues. And uh, they're and they change staff every few couple of years, and we have to start again <laughs> once we get their trust. <laughs> they disappear, and we get someone else in who who says we're bad for the game. But and all in all, I think they've seen. What for what the ACC is, and that is sports entertainment. It's fans. There's no like I, I keep saying to a few people like we're we are uh, entertainment, sports entertainment at the expense of editorial integrity. You know we're not we're <laughs> not Chris. We're not going to we're not ta- doing takedowns of people. We're not criticizing. You know we're actually just fans who love it and want to have a good time. And I think that slowly worked out that it's actually a really good thing, you know, f- for the sport. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think that, um, you know, the parallel universe where ACC doesn't exist, these these sports are in a lot more trouble. I mean, they're already, it's it's hard yeah. out there, you know, in a globalised entertainment market. Um, but the, the the New Zealandness of it is, is you know, probably, you know, it's... <laughs> Not something the government would ever, <laughs> would ever condone or subsidise, <laughs> but it's, it truly probably has had the biggest positive impact on the sort of broadening out um, a sports audience that, than, than any kind of more official initiative. The one thing that we, I'm, I'm really fascinated by is the fact that this has all grown out of NZME, which is a, a media conglomerate yep. by New Zealand standards, yep. um, and they are rightly known for running business as yes. well, but being really, really terrible incubators of businesses. You know, you see a media brand that's started by a, a corporate yeah. and it'll be basically horrible. Yeah. And yet ACC somehow, you know, uh, has, has I think you described <laughs> it before we started, as like, like a P-Lab started yeah, in the, a, the cupboard a, of NZB. Like a clandestine. And it feels a that clan, way. clandestine P-Lab in the basement. Yeah, Um it was, yeah, look, and like that is pretty much how it's, it did start like that. And we've had really good support. You know, we've obviously terrified the bejesus out of a lot of execs over the years around what we've done and, you know, how we've done it. But they basically, Jeremy and I were given a pretty long leash because they, at, at the start, admittedly, I think didn't think they'd think much of it. They said, I'll just let these guys have some fun in their, in their borrowed caravan. It's not costing us anything because um, New Zealand Cricket have paid for the first season uh, and then very quickly discovered that we, they're onto something here. And iHeart was very, iHeart Radio was in its infancy then and I think f- for the first time to actually even explain to the audience what iHeart was, the ACC was a prime example. You could only get it on digital radio. It's a digital platform. It's not terrestrial. You can't tune into your radio. You've got to go online and you've got to stream some audio. You know, And seven years ago, that was 
quite new for a lot of people in terms of what it was. So it almost helped iHeart in terms of explaining it to the market and explaining it to the audience. And um, over the years, obviously, as the audience grew, so did the interest from commercial partners. And that's when uh, NZME knew that the, that's where the potential is. And that's why now, you know, that's all I do is the, is the alternative commentary collector for NZME are investing in it. But obviously, they're looking for a return, but they can see the value in it. And saying that, they, they also knew that they had to protect what the ACC stood for. And that was often, you know, pretty, pretty out there sports content, pretty out there personalities, sometimes doing some pretty out there stuff. And every now and then, you'd, yeah, sure, they you know they come down and slap you around the face a couple of times, but and then you get you carry and get carry on with it. But you're right, it's it was it's a rare to to incubate something like that. But I think they trusted what Jeremy and I were were doing and what our goals were. And now that you know, now that it's a it's a kind of quite a well resourced um, department now, they actually believe in it and it to be an actual. A contributor to a serious contributor to NZME, both audience-wise and uh, commercially as well. Yeah, I, you know, so it's probably. I mean, I just read NZME's annual report. It didn't have anywhere near enough about the ACC in it. For, <laughs> I, I mean, the, the reason I say that is not, um, you know, just uh, to um, gas you up because you're here. But it's like if I, if I'm sort of thinking about the growth opportunities for for them and kind of wholly owned brands that still have a lot of legroom, and we'll get to that shortly. Like ACC sort of screams out amongst yeah. them to me. Just we're, we're sort of getting near the end. There's two two more things I want to talk about. The first is the Black Clash, yes. um, which my colleague Callum Henderson uh, memorably describes as. I'm paraphrasing here, but feels like it should be for charity, but isn't. Um, <laughs> which a, I just thought was such. That's a, a great line. It's such a good line. Um, because that, again, like, wh- how did it come about? And it's sort of suddenly, it's been going for like 10 minutes and feels like it'll go for 100 years. Like it's become part of this kind of summer furniture and in a weird way is like become kind of the most popular match of the summer somehow. <laughs> like it's like our Boxing Day test or something, but it's just <laughs> absolutely not a proper sporting event. Like explain oh, yourself. Oh, it's madness. Like, I mean, we're not... We are we are hired by TVNZ to to commentate that game. It's put on by Duco. They came, they got the concept from South Africa. South Africa have been doing that for years. The rugby players, right? Yeah. So this isn't yours. No, no, no. Black Clash. Oh, no, no. Black okay. Clash. We're just we're just a commentary team that um, put a kind of ACC lens through it. But it is it is right now wheelhouse in terms of of it, what it is. It feels almost unimaginable that it would would have worked without the ACC kind of creating an environment where these former players have this weird culture created around yeah. them. And a lot and of, all of them all got nicknames, and we, you know they were all around like the Harry Javelin and Grant Elliott and stuff like that. But the Black Clash, yeah, it's one of those things. I suppose that's kind of a. a it encourages us about the fact that sports entertainment is is crucial, you know, and it's having a sellout crowd of 10,000 people in Tauranga had a real sevens vibe to it, <laughs> you know. I mm. think the, cr- the cricket was almost secondary to everything else that was going on, you know. There was a great shot in that black clash where they were panning around the corporate tables, at, which were on the boundary, and they had glassware as well, and it was right in Cow Corner. I can't believe that there weren't shards of glass sprayed across corporates, but it panned across the tables, and... Just casual as you like, there was a guy just standing on his head and it just went past. And he was, <laughs> and then it carried on and then it cut to another camera where um, Scott Robinson was on a Segway going past the hot pools, uh, the, the spa pools, and then just bailed and did a forward roll. And we were commentating going, this is great. This is what it's all about. <laughs> this is what it's all about. It's everything that was going on, there was a whole over where they played Darude and there was a section of the crowd that just danced for the whole over 
he didn't care what was going on in the game. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, but people love it. It's just a, I know, I suppose they don't get that leash when they go to to games that are run by the associations or the sports bodies because they can't be seen to be doing that. If you know what I mean, like New Zealand cricket would never allow some of that behaviour. They'd all be biffed out in a second. But since it's run by a promoter. They're like, get some more beers to those guys <laughs> immediately, <laughs> you know. Like, so it's a different vibe. And I know that um, David White and New Zealand Cricket were at that game and 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 saw what was happening and you know the vibe they created. And the co- it was almost like basketball. It was constant entertainment. Any break and play, there was music and there was Brody Kane on the field. There was someone in the crowd doing something or someone shooting shooting tennis. Uh, no, t-shirts into the crowd or Scott Robinson riding around getting the crowd going and doing some break dancing and it had that kind of vibe to it which I think is unique for New Zealand sports fans and I guess and they get to see Richie McCaw let's be honest like they get to see the goat and they get to see like Will Jordan and you can't underestimate the pull of those big rugby superstars to people to you know and coming them watching watching them play cricket I think you can't underestimate that I think if those guys weren't involved those all blacks and those um, I don't, I don't I think it would have the same same appeal. No, no, it's 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 very true. I mean, it does it does feel like you know because if, you know if you go to an NBA game, it is it's just a it's just everyone, even just like a yeah. boring regular season game. Like there is a huge and constant um, barrage of of entertainment at you, whereas a lot of New Zealand sports still feels like it's kind of moribund and it's grudging mm. whenever it does anything outside of. The, the norm or, or like that that's somehow debasing the what you should be there for but there's increasingly few people there yeah. at all so maybe you should try something the, the, that that event space feel like let's, let's just end on kind yep. of the future of the the business side of the yes. ACC because that event space feels wide open to yep. you you know the fact is you have filled grounds created culture within those grounds basically four other organisations with whom you have an at times tense relationship. The Black Clash is absolutely something if you, you know, you could have done or you could do variations on. You've now got a suite of podcasts. There's just so much, you know, as much as you've grown, it feels like there's so much more to do. And now that you're on it full time, what's, what's, what's the plan? Yeah. It's mildly terrifying actually the plan we've got because we're, we're, we're a very unique um, business unit in the fact that we have non-traditional very non-traditional within NZME. You know, we've got no, we've got no print. You know, we're not a newspaper. We're not a radio station. We don't really exist as a .co.nz. You know, we are we're this kind of very non-traditional group that sits on iHeart, Facebook, YouTube, wherever the audience is. We're going to, you know, and that that's our ethos. But that also means for us that our revenue channels and our revenue opportunities have to be quite unique as well. So it's doing things like, you know, doing revenue shares with clients. Uh, it's doing uh, true content partnerships with clients because they can't put a ad schedule on. We don't have a spot block every uh, hour to three minutes of ads an hour or another print ad. So the, well, the way we have to approach our clients is quite unique. And I think that's a strength of ours. Um, the three the kind of pillars we have are our, li- our live commentaries. So, you know, getting clients involved in our live rugby commentary, cricket commentary, netball commentary and rugby league um our suite of podcasts um uh, which is a, a rugby league with mad monday byc the agenda that gets between 30 20 and thirty thousand downloads and listens a week and we're looking to grow that and double that um there's obviously it's a, the, the digital audio market in new zealand is a bit of a sleeping giant we've seen what's happening in australia in terms of um 
the revenue they're getting from from podcasts. I think it's almost doubled year on year. And in the US, iHeart in the US, I think, grew their revenue 130% on their podcasts last year. So I think it's coming to New Zealand. So it's like we see that as a, as a big revenue opportunity. The live events, like you mentioned, are also big for us. We partnered with Eden Park for the what we call the Super Bash, which was basically there was no cricket at Eden Park. So we dropped the pitch into Eden Park and people could come and have, try and hit a six at Eden Park because everyone says they can hit a six. So, you know, so we're over a one weekend, people could book a spot and come and try and hit a six at Eden Park. We commentated, live streamed it. We're running golf tournaments every quarter, the ACC Open, which is a nine-hole, three-ball Ambrose format, uh, 2.30 tee-off, finished by six. Perfect for um, our audience. People came in. We did. We launched it in Pupuki uh, earlier in the year. People came full dress up. They had Yui booms attached to their golf carts. It was just one big party. We want to own the space around tailgate parties, like pre-match parties before All Blacks games. That's a that's a big part of it as well. Um, so this, we have to be unique in where we look for our revenue streams, and that's a challenge. But it's also, like, like I was saying before, it's also um, something unique to provide for clients as well because they're always looking for something different. Every brief, where every client you talk to goes like, I just don't want to. I don't want a 30-second ad. I don't want this. You know, I want full integration. <laughs> like, well, okay, well, that's all you're going to get from us because that's all we've got. So it's the business side of it is, is it's going to be challenging. And obviously with, I mean, the whole COVID side of things, people are a bit more cautious about where and when they put their money. And often it comes in very late because they want to know what's happening for Super Rugby, for example. You know, they don't even know if it's going to start, so they don't actually want to put any money into it. So it's kind of a, a quite frustrating for us and it's probably frustrating for a lot. Yeah, it's a hard yeah. environment. Yeah. But, but but as you say, like like the fact that you're offering something non-traditional and um, people almost self-select as being comfortable with your your super weird offering <laughs> by, by, by getting involved, yeah. that um, yeah, that probably makes it easier. Hey, um, Mike, thank you so much for coming on um, the podcast. This is no so worries. fascinating to me, and yeah, just watching the ACC uh, grow and evolve will be a, a true pleasure over the coming years. No worries. Uh, that was Mike Lane on The Fold. I want to thank Tiahe Butler for uh, recording and editing this chat, Jane Yee for running the Spinner Podcast Network, and Callum Henderson, who I never thank, but actually has been a huge part of the Spinner Podcast Network, and uh, I actually quoted him on this podcast. He's an absolute living legend of, of the spin-off. Um, delightful writer. Check out his byline. And the spin-off members. Without you, we're, we're literally nothing. So, thanks. Kia ora e te iwi. Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.